Welcome to another edition of Ayahuasca Talks. I'm your host, Rebecca Hayden. Today we'll be exploring the mind and discussing it from an integrative perspective. It's one of Ayahuasca's favorite subjects, and there are many tools that we can use to integrate Ayahuasca lessons and wisdom into our lives um, by mastering our minds. In fact, the mind can be the greatest tool of all if we use it in a way that serves us. And today we'll be talking about our experiences of doing this. Joining me today, we have Matthew Palomari, an author of many books, um, spiritual and shamanic in nature, and a memoir and some fiction. And he's also an editor and he teaches psychedelic integration. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for joining us. And we also have uh, Drake Reno, who practices and teaches neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP. And he also does integrative coaching, I believe, and has used uh, NLP as a means to integrate his ayahuasca experiences. Hi, Drake. Glad to have Hello. you with us. It's great to be here. Thank you. Great. Okay. So um, I think that those of us who've chosen to make integration part of the work that we do, uh, like you and myself, we have been inspired by the profound experiences of it uh, that we've had ourselves. And I'm hoping we can share some of those personal stories here today. Uh, Matthew, you've been working uh, with medicines, I think, the longest. How long have you been doing this? Technically, I hate to say this, but technically about almost 50 years now. Why do you hate to say that? What a claim to fame. <laughs> <laughs> because it forces me to uh, accept my geezerhood. Ah, uh, yes. Well, we're all facing that. Yipper. <laughs> so uh, I'm, you, I know that you probably went over this with me before, but um, and, and we'd love to get into the first experience, but what I'd really like to learn about is after your first experiences, you know, what, what was your first experience of integrating those ayahuasca experiences, like actually having to put them in motion in your life? Um, so the first time I did it, um, I did it in a group. It was, they called it a symposium. So it wasn't a technical ceremony. Wow. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It was a very um, mixed group of people doing mixed things. And I, I brought my at the time my publisher's son along and he ended up kind of losing it so i spent the night sitting with him and i was amazed at how i could navigate and take care of him but that came from all my other experiences all your other ayahuasca experiences or or your own uh yes both <laughs> all of the above okay so um Actually, it's interesting, Chris and I were just talking about how in groups, and one of the benefits of doing ayahuasca in groups is that we all kind of help to heal each other and we all play those roles and ayahuasca enhances our abilities to do that and does it in ways we're not even aware of. But, but what about coming back from the experience into your so-called regular life and, and trying to apply the experiences that, that you had with ayahuasca? What were your first ex personal experiences with that? Yeah, well, without getting off track of the, of the discussion, um, I had a lot of experiences with substances early on, and I took a break for 13 years. Wow. That's yeah, impressive. I was, yeah, thank you. Well, I was a wild man, and I wanted to go baseline, and I wanted to look at everything from, um, you know, baseline consciousness. I wouldn't even take aspirin or coffee or anything uh, for, the, for those years. 
That amazes yeah. me when I hear you say it so casually. I just took a break when other people struggle and struggle. <laughs> it's oh, very funny. Yeah. Well, so um, I read um, Food of the Gods by Terrence McKenna. Nice. And, and I got to know Terrence quite well. That's a whole other story. But um, the fact that there could be spirituality tied into altered states was something new to me. Right. So then um, when I did that, I started off on my own explorations. And um, as part of my writing, I had been researching ayahuasca on my own for 10 years before I found it. Hmm. And then I got taken into the, to the jungle with uh, one of my wonderful mentors. And so I've been going into the jungle for 20 years now. And um, I was learning all along making it up as I go, as we like to say, mm-hmm. <laughs> and figuring it out. And then I had some uh, intense experiences, and then I had my past experience from integrating. And when I started approaching it from that, the, the magic really started coming into my life. I did have one major um, experience um, as a result of a 10-day jungle dieta. Oh, tell us about that. Dietas are pretty much... Just as challenging sometimes as ayahuasca. Uh, well, it was it was an ayahuasca dieta with roughly in the beginning uh, five ceremonies over ten days and working with other plants. And um, I, stop me if I go on too long because I lecture a lot and I get on my. <laughs> There's a lot of context and background. I totally understand. We just yeah. we, we want to get to the point where you're like in this so-called regular life and you've had all these great experiences and you're, you're trying to make it happen yeah, so let, that you learn applying them. Yeah. So let me cut to the chase. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> if I can. <laughs> <laughs> I totally understand. Go for it. Yeah. So um, I grew up in a tough neighborhood. I'm the original tough guy and I had no feminine. None. Um, I didn't cry for 30 years. It wasn't like, I'm not going to cry. Uh, it just wasn't there. It was, it was gone. And after, and there's more and more to this story, but after um, getting deeply into it, um, I got in touch, back in touch with my feminine. And I went through, um, geez, probably a couple of years of bawling my eyes out. Yeah. Um, and an amazing thing happened as a result of that is my intuition shot through the ceiling. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, very brief. So this is the story part because I know you want storytelling. Sure. Yeah. So very briefly, um, my mom's been gone now for like 15 years or something. But at first she says to me in the beginning, wait a minute, you mean to tell me you're going to go into the middle of the jungle and hallucinate? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, Yeah. And then she goes, oh, my God. And then she heard me on a radio show, and she realized that I, I had done a lot of research, so she felt a little better then. So, uh, Don't you love that? This is uh, why I do this show, basically, just for my family. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I'm official um, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she called me on my birthday some years back, and she said, happy birthday, honey. And it was so sweet, I just started bawling my eyes out. And, and I'm like, ooh, you know, and then she goes, are you okay, honey? And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> so then she says to me, does this have anything to do with those jungle plants you've been working with? And I'm like, ooh. 
<laughs> so she has just have a good cry, honey. And when you're ready to talk, talk. And I bawled for about five minutes. Uh, and then we had a really good talk and she got it. So uh, from that point of um, reconnecting with my feminine, I got far, far deeper into things and did a lot of research and wrote a lot of books and blah, 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 blah. So, so uh, did you feel that maybe this kind of provided you with an opportunity to be more vulnerable and get closer to people? I mean, did you feel that oh, that is what resulted in your life? Yeah, I have a mantra that I tell people all the time. And that is basically fear is expansion and love. Uh, I'm sorry. That's, the opposite. That's backwards. <laughs> fear is contraction and love is expansion. And with expansion comes vulnerability. And that's been one of my biggest challenges. Yeah. How, can you relate to any of this, Drake? I mean, it's uncanny how similar our stories are. It's uh, unbelievable, actually. <laughs> Ooh, Great minds drink alike. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually quite remarkable listening to the, to the story. So a little bit different, but a lot of the same key concepts. So I, I also grew up in a really challenging environment in the inner city and um, had, a, had a tough time getting along. I was around what I, I kind of call the toxic male archetype. And, you know, um, I grew up in a good family. I was blessed, but, you know, communication and connectivity with internal experiences and all that stuff was just not done. And then I went out into the world and there's a lot of violence and drugs and, you know, just a, just a you know, pretty, pretty tough environment. And a little bit opposite, uh, I was actually born with a really strong connection with my feminine. I didn't understand it at the time, but my inability to adapt into those environments, I learned later in the medicine, I'll kind of loop back around, but I learned later in the medicine, it was because uh, I had a, a much, much stronger connection with my feminine than the, the masculine model that I was surrounded by on all levels. And so it created a lot of struggle for me uh, as, a young, as a young kid. And, uh, and it led me, uh, you know, down some paths that they were really hard. I, I got myself into a lot of trouble. I got mixed up with drugs. I, was, I joined the gang eventually to try basically unconsciously, but I was basically trying to adapt, trying to find some sort of acceptance, I guess, to uh, where I, I felt like I had a lot of resistance. And I didn't understand any of this consciously at all. Um, and then, uh, I, I also had an amazing experience getting introduced to the medicine, uh, through Terrence, uh, just by happenstance. And that's kind of a long story, Rebecca, I shared that with you, but yeah. it, it, just by accident on the surface by accident, but obviously universe delivering it to me yeah. because it was so, it was just so random that it couldn't have been an accident. Um, finding a cassette in the middle of the park one day and grabbing it and, and listening to it and finding somebody's voice talking about DMT. And it just, it was just a pivot point. I was so amazed by the music and, uh, and, and so curious about the voice that I started researching and I learned that it was Terrence and, you know, I learned what DMT was and, and it really, I, I instantly became a student. It just fascinated me. And uh, I began cultivating mushrooms and, and trying to extract DMT from Phalaris grass. And, and I was young and really didn't 
even have a clue as to what I was doing, started doing ceremonial work. You know, I was, I was using it properly because I was reading and learning about indigenous use of these medicines and what's happening. And for whatever reason, I was just really drawn to it. And ultimately, the medicine many years later, when I landed in Peru, also in the jungle, also at a dieta, mine was close to a month. Um, and at that point, it all came together in a way that it never ever had for me. And I was able to see myself as a child and struggling and trying to get in, you know, fit in and, and be accepted and all the suffering that I was experiencing and creating from that. It was in the dieta that I actually realized that it was uh, this amazing blessing that I had being connected with my feminine and not something that was quote unquote wrong as I had labeled it within me, you know, as a kid, you just, you know, you're not fitting in. It's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and that's really all, you know, and you know, the suffering that you experience from it, it takes a lot of deep work and a certain level of emotional maturity to start to understand that stuff. And it took me all of 25 years to, to get to it. Um, but very similar, it, it happened through the medicine and the, the real tool or gift, I guess, that I was, I was able to, to discover in that was that that was possibly my, my biggest blessing, my greatest gift in me being me and all the things about me that, you know, that make me who I am, that that was possibly the, the greatest gift that I had because I was able to see it allowed me a level of compassion and connectivity and communication that has always been a really strong suit for me. But yeah. I never, I never, I never connected the dots enough to be able to see the gifts that it gave me until, until my, my medicine work. Right. Yeah. This rejecting this really essential part of us that doesn't fit into the so-called normal surroundings. Um, so how did you find yourself um, integrating that when you came home? Like what kind of experiences did you, did you have? Like, I know you wrote about something that happened with your father and, and I'd love to explore situations like that where you applied NLP and, and it worked out really well. Yeah, well, it's, again, I'll, I'll mirror a little bit. It was just that I'll try to keep it brief because it's, it's, sure. you know, it's deep stuff. But, but basically, you know, I, I, unlike a lot of people who do an extensive amount of medicine work, I never got clear, direct messages or directives or it just didn't come for me like that. It was always very soupy, my experience, and it took uh, a certain amount of uh, quiet and presence to be able to just kind of feel into whatever the learning was, but it was never explicit or clear for me. Uh, so the integration was kind of the same. It would like, I, I just kind of catch something that was happening and be able to connect the dots. It was not really something that I was able to identify before or during the time. So the example that you're referring to um, kind of ties into a little bit of what I just prefaced. So I, I, I have a, I love my father. He's a great man and communication has always been a problem and a challenge for us. Uh, he's, he comes from very old school. And, you know, when I talk about, you know, looking inward and balancing masculine and feminine energies, like the, 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 the response is a laugh. <laughs> like that's just it. Mm -hmm. It's just laughable. So 
you know, you can imagine somebody like me on the kind of path that I'm on and what types of challenges that would create over 45 years. And we've had, a, you know, we've really had lots of struggles communicating. So a good example of where I see the integration happening is less on the predictable conscious level, but more in experiences like this, where I would go to speak with him about something that I really wanted to share because I still have that, that, that child in me that wants to open that communication as much as, you know, I, I've worked through it. It's still there. It doesn't go away. And when I met with that resistance, there's a, there's a patterned response, uh, which, which really, you know, draws into anchoring and, and stimulus response theory, which you know, kind of boils over into the NLP world. And that's kind of a connection that I make. So I would try to communicate and the response from him would be, you know, very, very predictable. And mm -hmm. my response then very predictable. And that, that circle has been something that has been a lifelong challenge for me. Yeah. And because it runs so deep, I mean, in, in my work, I see that when you're dealing with family members, I mean, that's really, <laughs> in my opinion, the deepest work. Because it is. <laughs> you, you've been taught that since you've been taught. Right. And that's, yeah. a, that's deep work to unwind. And so when you're, when you're touching on things that are really deep within you and sensitive and important within you and those patterns occur, that suffering is, is really, you know, it becomes the response of, of, of the cycle. So anyhow, uh, I'd had this experience with him. I don't remember what the topic was, but I, I don't really even think it's relevant, but it was something that I felt deeply I wanted to share and open up. I got the resistance uh, from him and immediately felt uh, that, that trigger, that response, and immediately went into the, you know, I wish he was like this, and he should be like this, and just this whole suffering story right. that's, been, that's been well polished over 45 years. Yep, very familiar stuff. <laughs> you know, very, very well polished. I'm really like, I had it mastered, and, and th the moment that the integration took in place, again, not consciously, was that I was able to stop and, and ask what I consider the most powerful question in my work, which is what else is possible? So it's such a basic question, but if you can really dig deep into that question and be willing, as, as Matthew was just saying, to dive into it, into vulnerability, into really what, what else is happening? Well, what else is happening is this is my story. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is my creation. This is my suffering. And he's actually doing all he knows as best he knows. I know his intention's good. Right? Yeah. So I, I know that's there. So really past that, it's what am I creating from it? And, and again, it spills over into NLP work for me. And then from that space that that question provided, I was able to see like, wow, you know, here's a man who's you know, 80 years old. You know, talk about a well-polished pattern. Right. <laughs> you know, there's, exploring deep communication is just not going to happen for him. And, and even within those limitations and the extremity of how I test that at times with some of the things I present and the communications I have, the depths that I invite him to go into, he still does the best that he can. Yeah. He's still there. He's still – he just – it's just, it's just his map. It's the limitations within his map. And, and in, that, in that moment, it just created, it created space for gratitude. 
Right. And and just a totally different response than, you know, complete opposite of what I had been working and practicing for 45 years. So it was a matter of changing your response to things. Yeah, it's just a matter of really creating the space, you know, just what, what, what else is possible because in stimulus response, it's an automated response, right? There's, there's some sort of a trigger that creates some sort of automated response. And a lot of times it's a physical thing. Sometimes it could be auditory. It could be kinesthetic, whatever it may be. Sure. But there's an automated response. And when, when, when you're addressing that example in suffering, in something that connects with the family, so it's lifelong. I mean, that's where the that's where it's happening at its deepest level. So, what's needed in that space is it, what's needed in that experience is the space to ask what else is possible. What else is happening here? You know, what else beside my trigger, my automated response to this experience is possible? And in that space is the ability to heal. You know, I I really identified when you were talking about going into the suffering response, you know, that that was a familiar thing. And it, and it is to me too. And I, I feel um, really lucky to have the experiences that I do. And I'm going to tell you a personal story that I experienced somewhat like that in terms of going into the suffering state, you know, and, and, and not doing it. But I feel so lucky because I was actually, um, I do have the dialogue with ayahuasca and it's always with me now. Like it's mm-hmm. with me constantly. And I know that's a, a weird thing for people to try to, you know, to try to kind of imagine. But um, apparently there are a lot of people who are having these kinds of experiences. Um, the last podcast I did, I interviewed a woman who wrote a book about it. But anyway, for me, it's just like all day, every day. Um, and I was, and getting back to the whole suffering response thing, this is, this is a lesson that is happening over and over again for me. And although I feel lucky, it can be very challenging <laughs> to have this happen all the time, but it, it's, it's amazing. So I'm sure. in England with my son and he's sick. Um, and, and I, I really don't like going to doctors anymore. And if I was at home, I might, you know, be able to, you know, talk to his dad and, and figure other things out. And, but, you know, there I was not able to have any alternative I felt other than going to the doctor. Right. Um, uh, anyway, so we did, and uh, and she wanted to put him on antibiotics, and he was quite young, and I, I didn't agree, but I, I didn't know what else to do, and again, you know, we didn't know anybody there. It was just me and him, so there I am trudging along these, you know, beautiful streets of, of England to get him his antibiotics and, and starting to go into that suffering state, you know, and starting to go into a, a victim state. And um, I hear, like, why did I come? Why did I bring him? Oh, my God, you know, I, I shouldn't be doing this. I hate, you know, all this wah, wah, wah stuff in my head. And, and all valid stuff, but, you know, there I was investing in even more suffering. So this voice kicked in and said, do not go into the victim state. And when it kicks in like that and you're in the midst of your whole in a rant, you know, it's, it's pretty surprising and it kind of stops you dead in your tracks. So it accomplishes what you talked about, making space to respond differently. Right. And I think that sometimes that was early in my, you know, experience of having the dialogue happen without me having done ayahuasca. And it's, it surprised me, you know, <laughs> shocked yeah. me into submission. <laughs> and, 
and it just allowed me to to not respond like that anymore and to think of other ways and and yeah it just like snapped me right out of it and it's really important to do that in whatever way you can and yeah. you know if nlp does that that that's amazing if it opens up the possibility of doing that um and these programs that we have with people where we have a response that we're so often giving and changing that is 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 really tough stuff um yeah the worrying over your child thing, you know, that, that was my, my mom's big thing. And, and I, I adapted to that. And that was my motherhood experience. You know, you worry over a child and that's good and healthy. And, <laughs> and right. some of it's just a lot of misery. That's so unnecessary. Right. Yeah. yeah. Matthew, I'm wondering if you can relate to this in terms of relationships and, and programming yourself differently after ayahuasca. And, and is that some of the stuff you've experienced and you teach and, yeah, I do. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, yep. my screen changed on me. Um, so, um, God, I got to back up a second. Um, the uh, experiences that I've had, I always like to say I'm in a, a constant state of integration. Right. It never ends. If I never drank another drop, I'd be fine. And the main reason I'm drinking now is because I'm uh, leading ceremonies. But um, when I was working deep, I'm, I'm always deep in the medicine, but when I was working a lot, I was also working with a very high-level personal coach in parallel for maybe five years. And anybody else who drank, she said, stop, don't do it, except me. And I struggled with those two things for a few years until it finally all came together for me, um, and I got a, an understanding of it. And alongside of that, I did a very intensive two-year shamanic study program where every two months we go into the jungle and work with those medicines. Then I go into the Andes and work with those medicines. I got to do the whole uh, Wicholi pilgrimage. Um, and I basically worked in North Central and South America for two years intensely with all these different medicines. And I learned a system of personality uh, organization and I write a lot about this and I lecture about it quite a bit and in uh, shamanism and deep back in prehistory particularly like in ancient Egypt there like in the uh, there's a temple of anthropocosmic man in Luxor Egypt and they say it's a map of the human body and also of the cosmos um, which is actually ultimately holographic so in that model um, the heart is the center of the universe, uh, just like the sun is the center of our solar system. So the heart is connected to the sun, to a bigger sun, to a bigger sun, all the way back to source. And it's all heart-centered. So what I've learned over time and experienced directly is that um, when you're doing this work, you shift from being um, head-centered, intellectually-centered, to being heart-centered. You, it's one of the reasons why integration is challenging because people go in and have those experiences um, with the medicine and it's heart-centered and it's non-rational. <laughs> yeah. And as we all know, it's very overwhelming. You cannot really articulate it. And so what I, I always tell people, don't try to figure it out while it's happening. Let it rip. Mm -hmm. And then when the intellectual part of you catches up later that to me is really what integration is it bounces things out mm -hmm. so you in this symptom being heart-centered 
we are the center of the universe that we have created and all of our subpersonalities are the different influences just like you know mars is the god of war and venus is the goddess of beauty and love and there are all these different energetic influences but we have created that so we actually uh, our essence created our egos or, or i always like to say i'm a cast of thousands <laughs> i think that many of us are as a matter of fact <laughs> yeah yeah when, when we wake up so when we be, become increasingly if you continue this work and becoming increasingly heart-centered then I like to say daddy's home or mommy's home. And I've learned over all these years to identify the different subpersonalities. So our, our, we, created, we created our ego and our ego is doing its best job to try to protect us. It's a way of coping with the world. But if you continue on this path and you continue to shift from being head-centered to heart-centered, you start to realize that the strategies that you initially uh, came up with don't work anymore. But they still pop up because they want to be heard. They've been abandoned and they're trying to protect you. So I have this thing now where I basically say, daddy's home. Shut up, you little buggers. Get in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, straighten up. Be That's because it comes funny. down to taking responsibility for your own creations and everything that you do. Right. You know what? Actually, that's interesting that you mentioned that because these creative scenarios I'm very familiar with. And when um, Drake was telling me about NLP, and many people have mentioned it to me, because I tell them about the shamanic experiences I've had with characters, you know, and in the mind and, and, and in the imagination. Um, and they say, oh, that sounds like NLP. That's what you're doing. It's like, well, I didn't know. I'm just having this ongoing experience. And one of them is um, a lot like that where you have these characters in your mind, right? And what ayahuasca has done is made me aware of those those thoughts that I'm having that are really working against me in a in a big way. And when I'm in that state of of investing in those thoughts, um, it's it's important to snap me out of it to the point where I can actually start to learn, you know, to do things differently. But when you're in the throes of it, it's it's helpful to have something, a tool, right? Like like your tool of daddy's home or whatever. With them, they present me with something to distract me out of it. So it would be either a figure or a, a scenario or something like that. They, they um, used, you know, animals showing up and, and sometimes it was all very imaginative. They were basically using my own imagination to help me get onto a different track, you know, and, and they distract me with humor, which was great. And then sometimes they would start to say, now you do it. You know, now you do it yourself. Like we've helped you and distracted you and we're at work with you, but we want you to do it yourself. So they would ask me to come up with my own imagery, you know, to, to shift me from those programs that you run and those thoughts that are harmful. And one of them that I came up with was, was a wave. Um, and, and I'd focus on that and I'd watch it build and all the rest of it. And before I knew it, I was out of that state of investing in those harmful thoughts. And I, I, I had perspective suddenly, you know. And I got myself out of it. And so for a long time, I used that. Um, does that sound anything like, like NLP to you, Drake? It, it is. I mean, it, it is at its core. So, I mean, the, the, the system, the model of NLP is, is uh, basically how we are creating uh, our experience, right? Through data that's coming in through the outside world. And, and then it goes through a set of filters within the mind. And one of those is the linguistic filter. And then there's some subfilters of that filter where we associate meaning and, uh, and, and uh, value and 
that's the home of identity and story, right? So basically every experience that's happening is some, some version of that system at play. So I'll see something like, for instance, my father, right? So he'll, he'll give me that little grin, you know, he'll do that little brush off that he does very subtly and I see it and then instantly that goes through the filters and I name it and I name it, you know, uh, you know, lack of connectivity or, or lack of compassion, whatever it is I want to call it. And that triggers the, the response of, of the suffering. And then it means it has a meaning of this. And then the more I run that pattern, it eventually becomes story. And the more I run that pattern, it eventually becomes identity. So now I am one who has that relationship with him. It becomes real. So we manifest it through that system. So what NLP does in its essence is it shakes up the map. You know, it just shakes up the map in one way or another. And there's lots of different patterns within it that could be used and different techniques that could be used. But ultimately, what we're doing is when we're, you know, when we're working with NLP is we're, we're disrupting that map. And yeah. It kind of starts to tie in a little bit with, with neuroscience. Well, you have a, a pattern uh, that's some sort of uh, some sort of response that had a value at some point and no longer does, but we still run it uh, because we're not conscious of it. It's not a conscious thing. It becomes automated and it yeah. goes in, into, the, into the unconscious. So when we, when we have the opportunity to disrupt that, whether it's through imagery or whether it's through uh, any of the representational systems, we give the neurology an opportunity to create a new neuropathway. And then, obviously, it must be followed up with practice. So you keep revisiting, you keep practicing, and eventually it moves into a new pattern. So the thing about it is, is those, all, those old pathways are always there. They don't die, as any like, addict will tell you, right? Like, it could be refired just like that. But the less that they're fired, the, the, the more inactive they become and the more strengthened the new ones become, they become new patterns. And yeah. that's, that's basically the, the system of how NLP works into all these things. And you strengthen the new ones. You focus on doing that. That's correct. And that's where incantations and, you know, all those things all kind of Neuroplasticity. Play in. Yeah. yeah absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's actually, it actually builds like there's, it's actually a physical thing. You know, the, those pathways build like a muscle. I think it was, uh, Dr. Jordi Reba, who had first started, um, I don't know about first, but my first exposure to science catching up with this and where I had my huge aha moment that I'm bringing together, you know, medicine and NLP, which was not a, a deliberate thing by no, any means at all, um, was when I started realizing that. So the studies that Dr. Reba and, and probably some other people from MAPS and stuff have done show that uh, the, 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 these neural pathways and this healing that people experience when they're on it, if you look at it from a neurological standpoint, what ayahuasca does in the brain, in the neocortex, is it allows the brain to be able to fire those, uh, those, those uh, neurotransmitters in different directions, right. um, which maybe physically it's always capable of doing because we're wearing the pattern it's, it's not happening. So it just gets refired and strengthened. Like somebody who's afraid of a dog who's gotten bitten. Eventually that fear can become the sound of a dog or a sight of a dog or somebody speaking about a dog. It becomes highly generalized. You so, know, 
those things just become, they become strengthened. And what ayahuasca does in the brain, according to these studies, is it, 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 it gives the ability to recreate choice, which in, in the, the conscious level work and unconscious level work, that's exactly what NLP does. And that's where they came together for me. Actually, you know, we've often talked about this, um, how when you're in the medicine and you're shown things and you're in a very unique position where you don't have those reactions and it's wonderful and so many of us have said oh god how can i do this outside of this experience (laughs) because it's great i mean um you know this especially because we're often shown things about ourselves that we would have big strong reactions to under normal circumstances and uh when you're in the medicine that's not really happening you know Um, they're suspended i remember once ayahuasca actually allowed me to unsuspend them and I didn't have the emotional reactions but my brain she showed me how my brain would normally respond to a lot of this stuff but she's basically you know kind of giving me a map of my head um, in motion and saying see see these things that are going on it was it was quite quite fascinating and a little disturbing but (laughs) very impactful um, you know, if I, if I can add to that, this is, sure. this is really, I think, a really important point um, that, that I found for me and in my work and myself and my own experiences where I, I really believe that the power of these two things together is just, it's, it's really something important and remarkable. So it, it, you can do years of meditation work and you can do years of NLP work and you know, many modalities, not, not just those two, but many modalities to try to experience the disconnect from those systems and, and ego. And, and, and they could be effective, obviously, with lots and lots of time, you can have some level of disconnectivity and ability to observe those things from a third position, right? from not being within uh, the person experiencing them. What I think is so incredibly powerful about medicine for me, and then how it ties back in is it gives you the opportunity to actually disconnect, right? So nothing I've ever experienced has ever actually done that. There's been some levels of, of, uh, of results that I've gotten at different moments and, and different practices over a certain amount of time. But what I think is so exceptional about working with medicine is it actually gives you the, the, the actual experience of truly disconnecting from it and having that different perspective, a different yeah. way of looking at it and that different experience. Then when it comes back in, like you just said, when it comes back into everyday life, how do you then integrate that? Or how do you then... Um, Not have those re- same responses. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is once you actually have a real experience, if for me, it was never like, okay, I, I saw it and then I came back. But... I definitely knew I was no longer in the system of ego and the system of me being, you know, the person that I had created and the responses that I created. And so having that experience to go off of and then being backed up through a a practice such as NLP, where I can then go to revisit, you just seem, I just seem to be able to get a little bit further. And people, you know, just... 
I can see how it's it's effective to have a tool that that really works for you and we're all so unique in in how yeah. we we integrate and there's different tools for different people and I think that that's great I think we're learning to appreciate how unique we all are yeah. um, but one thing I wanted to touch on that that Matthew mentioned and you mentioned too um, is is uh, since we're talking about the mind and and when Matthew talked about when you talked about being um, heart centered um, this is a very big mind tool and and it's great because the mind is where a lot of this you know stuff goes on that we've we've got to change if we if we want things to change in our life but um getting back to the heart and and out of the mind is is also an important thing not to regard it um so highly like when Ayahuasca suggested that it's a tool. <laughs> it kind of like really took me back because I was a person who worshipped intellect and, you know, it was really a very differently positioned toward all of that than I am now. And, and I know that, that that happens to to a lot of us, you know. Um, we come out of our experiences with ayahuasca where the intellect, you know, we, we have to, we have to see it differently because we've just been shown something that goes, as you said, Matthew, beyond intellect, you know, beyond that realm. And I've been, I, I've had some uh, pretty severe lessons from ayahuasca about intellect and, and my worship of it and what it was doing to me and, and how I was creating barriers with it. And I just wondered if, if you guys had, had those kinds of experiences, if that's something you relate to. Um. In my universe, everything I say is in my universe, so people can take it or leave it. What I have to say is just an offering. And um, I've written about this extensively in some of my books, but um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Gurdjieff at all. Uh, no. Oh, God. No. Uh, Gurdjieff was an amazing mystic. He was actually a mentor to Jung and some other people in his later years. He's considered Russian, but he's actually Armenian and uh, Turkish, and he traveled the world um, looking for truth. And um, his model of things precisely fits uh, ayahuasca and other systems. So in a nutshell, without getting on another big soapbox here, <laughs> um, energetically we have three bodies. We have an intellectual body, an emotional body, and a physical body. And this ties in with pre-Incan thought and also Egyptian thought. So uh, in the uh, Inca trilogy, in pre-Inca trilogy, there are three worlds, the upper world, the, lo the lower world, and the middle world. The upper world is condor, represented by love in the color pink. The middle world is power, represented by the jaguar or the puma, which is kind of an electric blue. And the lower world is wisdom, uh, represented by the serpent in gold. And in the beginning, we all tend to rely on one of those uh, bodies, energetic bodies, more than the other one. And as a matter of fact, the people who I've seen have the worst, worst, worst experiences trying to understand and integrate ayahuasca and have the most horrific experiences are those who are intellectually centered. Yeah. And I've, I've been in the jungle with some renowned PhDs. I'm not mentioning any names. But I had one of them curled up in my lap in a fetal position for, for three sessions in a row because he couldn't figure it out because he was used to leaning on his intellectual body or mind. Right. So the goal is to combine them all into an ultraviolet blue. And the goal is to, uh, as I like to say, to get the whole band singing the same tunes. So uh, a superior athlete would be someone who would be physically centered. Um, women 
being more in touch with their intu- intuition may tend, these are all generalizations, but they may sure. tend to be more emotionally <laughs> centered. So yeah. somebody could say, if I was intellectually, it doesn't matter. We, we tend to do one thing at the expense of the other two. So somebody could say something to me, I can get emotional and hit them. And then, uh, or hit them, so maybe, okay, so that's a physical response. Then I'd feel bad about it and get emotional, and then I'd start thinking about it, and I would get intellectual. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that's one example. But we all do one from the other, and we tend to lean on one at the expense of the other. So the idea is to, as I like to say, get the whole band singing the same tune. Then you have a balanced response, and you get into those moments, uh, like Drake was talking about, which uh, I, I personally call transcendence. When you overcome the polarities, and you resolve paradox i love that word by the way (laughs) Um, then you rise above the polarities and that is transcendence because you see things more from a central perspective as opposed to being all caught up you know in a a negative or positive so to speak uh, polarity right um i think that like drake when he wanted to sort of disown that part of himself that that feminine part of himself, with me, the heart part of myself, which has been huge from a very young age, um, I started to associate with pain. So that's why I, you know, intellect was going to be my savior. And <laughs> then I, I clung to it, you know, with a death grip. And, and it was just the medicines that, that helped me see my unhealthy relationship with it. Um, but it can be great. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying, yeah, no, let's not, you know, admire what the mind can do of course it's amazing and you know it's a big part of of um of our lives really um and and it can be a great ally if if we if we use it well um one other thing that i wanted to get into with both of you is that the responsiveness like um <clears throat> we, we've learned a lot about the mind in our programming and and our responses to certain people you know, in our lives, which I think we've all had experiences with. Um, but this responsiveness, I think, happens on a different level. And given our experiences with shamanism, sometimes we're exposed to this where, um, you know, we always think that we can keep our thoughts private and that it doesn't matter and we can put on a face with people and, and that this is all going to work very well. I, I remember working in um, sales in the corporate world and there was all kinds of training about this, you know. <laughs> it was like... <clears throat> put on a smile and you'll get a good response kind of thing. You know, it was like courteous manipulation and, and it felt inauthentic and deceptive. And, it, and it, I had a r- real problem with it um, at the time. And then years later, here I am, you know, discovering what it means to, to get back into an authentic place and that there was a reason why I had difficulty with it. Um, but also that, you know, you can put a smile on your face as much as you like, but really on an energetic level, we're, we're all feeling what goes on in each other's minds. Um, I don't think we're hiding much. <laughs> I think we like to believe that. So what goes on in the mind is, is a really important thing. And um, this responsiveness, you know, has become very apparent to me. Um, and I don't know if you guys have had those experiences where, you know, you're thinking something, you know, it's negative, you know, it's not the healthiest way. But, um, you know, you're hoping, of course, that, that this won't play out because it's just in your mind or whatever. Have you ever felt situations come about in your life that show you that that negative thinking has real responses from people without you saying a word well well all the time i, I teach this in my writing workshops all the time and in, in in a uh novel all of the supporting characters 
are actually different aspects of the hero's uh, personality. And when I, in those situations, when I feel the energy in a particular way, like feeling negative and crappy, then I know it's that situation. And that's when I start to pay attention. So for anybody who's listening, anybody in your life who drives you nuts or you can't stand, that's your shadow. And your ego is projecting onto that so it doesn't see it in itself. It's another uh, self-protection mechanism. So when I know the energy feels lousy, then I know it's coming from that. And then I drill down to the emotion and find out where it's coming from. And oftentimes, um, I get to the source, but it's very dicey. It's not, it's, it's squirmy. It's trying to get away. <laughs> Describe a squirmy situation. I like that word. Well, so, you know, you referred to it a little bit ago. It's the monkey mind. Yeah. It'll bring in a song. It'll bring in an image. It'll bring in sometimes the stuff that goes through my head. They, if, if people knew what some of the stuff that goes through my head, they want <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And um, a lot of my writing, especially some of my earlier stuff, is horror stories and science fiction and science fiction horror because I really like to push the limits of my mind. Um, you know, I like to say, leave no turn unstoned and uh, <laughs> no brain cell unexplored or undisturbed. So when you're really paying attention and you realize just um, what high levels of awareness we can be, be capable of if we're really clear and in the moment, then we start to see those things and identify uh, the problem children. In, in my case, I've got it nailed down now over years and years and years. The ringleader of the gang in my head is the baby. The baby's backed up by the wise guy and the tough guy. And then there's the comedian. Um, and, they, and they work together. They hand it off sometimes and they tag team. But they're all strategies not to be discovered because the ego doesn't want to be discovered because we develop the ego as a self-defense coping mechanism. But it's not until you take the time to grow and try to get outside of that that you start to realize that the strategy that you, you learned or, or, or imprinted on empathically when you were three years old doesn't yeah. work when you're 40 or 50. <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> when you're starting to observe the mind, you do discover some pretty strange things. I must admit, it's like, wow, you know, getting to know yourself on a whole new level when you really pay attention to all the, the weirdness that happens. But um, I, I really appreciate what you say about the squirminess with me. It feels sneaky. There's something sneaky that's hiding underneath all kinds of stuff, just trying not to be discovered because that's exactly the work that, that I want to do is discover it because it's causing all kinds of problems. But it presents itself in such a reasonable way. And when, when I say reasonable or normal, what I'm doing is I'm comparing that to what we're used to, to what we experience in the world, which, let's face it, has got to change, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if it was also incredibly healthy, we wouldn't be doing all this work, right? Ooh. So yeah. yeah, it can be very sneaky, and 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 it can uh, it, it can be also very um, enticing, cunning. And, yes, mm -hmm. cunning, exactly. Mm -hmm. But Ayahuasca asked me not to take it so seriously, <laughs> you know, and she she kind of makes me laugh about it and and exposes it in fun ways so that it doesn't go into a dark situation, you know, because some of this stuff can be pretty dark. You you gotta you gotta honor the trickster and and people who tell me I'm masochistic for. <laughs> committing myself to extreme uh, dietas, um, I tell them that you have to uh, experience and embrace the dark as much as you do the light. They're complementary, and you can't have one without the other. And how are you going to learn 
everything that's possible for you to learn, not that that's ever possible, if you don't embrace all of it and look at all of it. So I've spent as much time in heavenly, exquisite realms as I have in hellish ones. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about shadow work and, and, and doing this. Um, and, and not everybody's going to go about it the same way. And I can appreciate, you know, where you're coming from. And, and I think that my work is going to be a, a little different. I certainly look at it and all the rest of it. But Ayahuasca has been very clear about me not embracing it. And I don't know why it's, it's come across to me that way. But I think that, you know, people know themselves and they know the work that they need to do underneath it all, underneath all the, the nonsense that we do. <laughs> I think that we all have, have a, a deep, you know, understanding. Um, there's, there's deep wisdom there that we can kind of, you know, access. And, and we all know. And for some reason, that whole embracing the darkness never really, it never stuck with me. I, 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 there was something about it that, you know, I, I couldn't quite grasp and, and asked Ayahuasca about it in ceremony. And she said, we're simply not going to do that. We're going to reveal it. You know, we're going to make sure that it doesn't hide anywhere. Um, but we're going to, we're not going to work with it. You know, that's not what you're going to do. Being aware of it um, is, is fine for you, but you know, it's something that you won't do. Other people will, and that's fine. That doesn't make them wrong and you write. And I just want people out there to know that there is other ways. You know what I mean? And, and if it, if, you know, it appeals to you, if it resonates with you, one or the other, that will tell you something, you know? Not to say that, that uh, this darkness won't, um, for people who are meant to work with it, won't, you know, be disturbing. It always sounds disturbing, I think, to most of us. How do you feel about all that, Drake? I, I mean, I, I definitely agree with, uh, with Matthew. Just saying, and just in my line of work, it's just called parts, right? So you, you start to, so the ego in this protective nature um, and, and desire to, for comfort <laughs> and protectiveness, you, know, you, you avoid vulnerability and, and you, you ration, you know, through the logical, rational mind how to perceive and experience different things that will basically be an avoidance on a deeper level of what you guys might be calling the shadow part or, you know, the, 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 the shadow, whatever, whatever you call it, but we all have both. Right. Yeah. So a uh, part of, part of the, the, my experience and, and the work that, that I've done with myself has been, you know, first, uh, I don't know if it'd be technically called doing shadow work. I, I don't know. I, I lose myself in the description, but yeah. It, but it's basically, you know, well, here it is. <laughs> it's not a matter of looking away or calling it something different or not calling it this or not calling it that, but just be with it, all of it in what it is. And then there's a certain level of acceptance with that. And then within that, whatever, whatever shift that you see in that moment of not being it, right? So all of it always for me comes down to I am not that thing. Yes. So I, I am not the avoider of it, nor am I the 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 creator, or am I the uh, the actor in the play? Like I am not those things. I'm, I'm yeah. only what can be observing these things. And so the first part is to obviously observe the whole picture, and then the second part would be to then disidentify with any of those parts because the self is not any of those transient experiences. And then that's again where the medicine, uh, you know, I think really is, 
incredibly powerful is it gives you the opportunity a reference point to actually experience not being any of those things in a way that's super profound it is yeah i agree um in that same experience that i had where ayahuasca was taking me through all that because you know drake as you mentioned when you were younger you wanted you want to identify with others and when everybody's doing things a certain way you want to you want to feel community, you want to feel that connectedness and part of you, you know, sometimes says, okay, then I got to be like that. And sure. for much of my journey, I, I've just been doing things differently. Things have come un- unfolded for me differently. And Ayahuasca has constantly coached me on that. Just And and it came up very recently in ceremonies. Like you, you have to be okay with being different and there's nothing wrong with it. And it doesn't mean that, you know, everybody else is right and you're wrong or or vice versa you know it's part of this this way that we are together we're all very unique and it's a wonderful thing and it can work in harmony really really well and and it was a big lesson also in um which is going to come up with this show too like all kinds of people are going to come on they're going to be very passionate about their beliefs and how things should be done and all the rest of it and and they're all right because you know for some people that's that's the way it needs to be done for sure you know and and trying to um trying to gain force consensus and and buy into only one reality i think is where we end up living limiting ourselves and you know there's going to be different kinds of work for different kinds of people and Yeah. yeah for me it's just different but i certainly I know the value of recognizing that that darker stuff and 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 confronting it. You know, I I've been forced to many many times, so it's not something that I'm running away from. I'm just you know um, going about um, resolving that that situation differently. You know, uh, coming to terms with it in a different way. So um, it looks like we're coming to the end of the show, though. Um, and I thank you so much for, for joining me today. And I wanted to give people a way to contact you guys. Uh, so, uh, Matthew, if you could let people know how to reach you, and where they can find out more about you and your work. Sure, absolutely. I want to say one more quick thing. Sure. Uh, just for clarification, when I talk about embracing the darkness, I'm talking about exactly what Drake said. It's acceptance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. That's, I understand. Yeah. yeah no, I'm I really do. I, I'm. Yeah. I'm. You know. I'm not. I'm not saying that that's not a good thing. It, it is. And yeah. For some reason. That's, yeah. That's that's not the way that it's going. It's it's certainly acknowledging, but you know, yeah. just not building it into my life and working towards, um, yeah, moving on yeah. from it. <laughs> I, I just wanted to clarify that for listeners. I totally understand, yeah, yeah. and I'm glad you did. Um, yeah. Thank you. So. so if, if you want to hunt me down, <laughs> my website is mattpalamary.com. So it's M as in mom, A-T-T, P as in Paul, A-L-L-A, M as in Mary, A-R-Y.com. Okay. And I have tons of podcasts, videos, lectures. Um, I've got 14 books in print. Much of them are around our discussion. Um, Shadow and the center of the universe is right between your eyes, but home is where the heart is, which is a long title. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, People can can drill down there. There's if they want to reach out to me, there's a contact form so they can. It'll if they put their information in there, it will email me. And uh, tons and tons of content. So it'd be great to hear from people. Great. uh, I appreciate you having me on the show. And uh, Drake, I appreciate your uh, comments and perspectives. Sure. And Drake, how can people reach you? 
My website is uh, integrated-man.com. Perfect. Yeah. That's it? Yeah. And yeah, that's it. Simple. And Matthew, okay. Okay. I was just saying I, I really enjoyed it as well. Matthew, it was great uh, being on with you. I'd like to continue connecting with you. And Rebecca, thank you so much for inviting me on the show. It was, uh, it was fantastic. I think you're doing great. I think you're doing great work with this. Thank you. And uh, for anybody who wants to get in touch with me, it's RebeccaHayden.com and uh, AyahuascaTalks.love. And um, thanks again, guys. All right. Take Thank you. And Drake, reach out and track me down. We're brothers in arms, bro. Yes, I will. I will, I will send you out a message as soon as we disconnect here. Yeah, let's definitely continue. I, I enjoy connecting with you. You All too. Right. Likewise. Awesome. Thanks possum. again. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Drake. Love you guys. Thank you. Much love.